Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Scale Up Your Business. This is Nick Bradley, your host today, and I am delighted to have another guest for you. Now, today's guest is someone I've wanted to have on the show for a long time because I think if people have been listening to the podcast, they know that I have you know, a different list every year around professional development. And a few years back, one of my goals, one of my kind of things to sort of build my own wealth vision was to be an investor in multiple businesses. So I searched the world, literally, to try and find the best person I could get close to to mentor me on that. And um, I found a program which was all around how you could buy and sell businesses for limited capital. So you're using what we call a leverage buyout model. And I found a guy by the name of Carl Allen. So I'm delighted to say that Carl is joining me on Scale Up Your Business today. So every time I talk about buying and selling businesses and the experience that I've had, and many of you know that I now have seven businesses, and many of those are through acquisition. The majority are through acquisition as opposed to startup. And a lot of the thinking, a lot of the inspiration, a lot of the motivation has come from Carl. So he's on the show. So he's going to be joining us very, very soon. So who is Carl? He is the editor of Dealmaker Wealth Society. He's an entrepreneur, investor, corporate dealmaker. He's got literally three decades of experience. And he's worked on transactions worth over $48 billion. And that's something like over 300 acquisitions and sales of businesses worked across literally 17 different countries and multiple sectors. Unbelievably experienced this stuff. And what's happened since is I've partnered up with Carl and also um, his business partner, Adam, and we've been doing some deals together and, you know, it's a fantastic ride. So I'm really grateful to have him on the show today. Uh, He's going to tell you the story of how we met, which is serendipity in its own right Um, and it's you know it's been an amazing ride since so I'm really really glad to have him and right now as we go through kind of uncertain times there's never a better time or never has been a better time to start to think about building a portfolio of businesses lots of businesses that you know are really solid profitable you know their their valuations have gone down recently you're going to have more motivated sellers people are just you know wanting to to go and do something else particularly um, when a a situation like um, COVID-19 hits because it starts to make you think differently about where you want to spend your time So we're going to get right into that today. It's a very long episode. We go into everything from how do you find these deals? How do you leverage them? How do you effectively buy them with no or minimal money down? All of that great stuff. And even if you're an existing business owner, I can tell you right now that it's important to think about acquisitions as part of your growth strategy because literally, you know, you could buy your competitor and you could double your your revenue overnight by just integrating their customers into your existing business. So this is not just for someone who wants to buy a business outright and be an investor. It's a really good strategy for growth in your core business. So there you go. Big introduction. Really delighted to have Carl on the show. So welcome to Scale Up Your Business, Carl Allen. Hi, everyone. It's Nick here and welcome to another episode of Scale Up Your Business. 
I am excited to have with me today, Carl Allen. Now, Carl Allen is the editor of the Dealmaker Wealth Society, entrepreneur, investor, corporate dealmaker. He's been doing that for over three decades. And he has worked on transactions, acquisitions worth over $48 billion and includes over 330 acquisitions and sales. Now, I know Carl personally as well, so this is cool. So welcome to the show, Carl Allen. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited. I reckon we should start. I think we should start with our story. Should we start with our story? Yeah. All right. So, should I, Do you want me to tell the story or do you want to tell You tell, tell the story and I can add, the, add some color. <laughs> yeah. So this is a really cool thing. So I met Nick. I, I met you in August of last year. So I, I didn't know you until then. Um, I didn't know that you'd, uh, you'd purchased one of my training systems on, uh, on, on buying businesses. So I'm at this event. So Nick and I are both big students of Tony Robbins. And Nick and I are both at this event independently called Life and Wealth Mastery, which is in Tenerife, which is, a, you know, if you're not from Europe, it's a little island off the coast of Spain. So day one of this event, they, they give us a challenge where we've got to climb up this massive 100-foot pole and kind of jump off the top. So I'm on the back of this bus going to this jump site and Nick walks up the aisle and says to me, you're, and he's looking at my name badge, and, and actually my, my full name is John Carl Allen, but I've always been called Carl. So Nick's looking at my badge, and it says John Allen, not Carl Allen, because Tony Robbins got the name wrong. And he said, you're Carl Allen. I'm in your program, and I've bought a business. And it was like unbelievable, and I, I love it when people come up to me. It happened, it's happened at airports, it's happened in restaurants, and it was amazing at this event that, um, that you came and introduced yourself to me. And then, you know, we were in the same team, which was also quite serendipitous. And then we've become really, really good friends. You know, we're partnering on some deals together, and yeah, we, you know, we spent a lot of time together. So yeah, it was a great way, uh, great way to meet. Yeah. So, so to build on that a little bit. So what was funny, cause I am a big believer in serendipity. Things happen. There's a few events recently, actually in my kind of business career where I've similar sort of thing. I've met people, things have happened in a weird way. But what was cool about this, if I go back a little bit, just to help everybody, people know the story. After I went to my first Tony Robbins event, I came back and I thought, okay, I've now got a really clear view of what I want to do. And I was pivoting out of the private equity world into, um, into the world of sort of deal making and, and growing scaling businesses. And I had a list, well, actually two lists. I had a personal development list and a professional development list. And as I was starting to kind of craft, you know, essentially what I wanted to do with my time, my career, all that, I started to look for the best people in the world in certain areas. So I knew that I needed to get close to certain people and learn stuff and kind of educate myself. And under the professional list, on the business acquisitions, was your name, Carl Allen. Yay! <laughs> so there we go. So, so then obviously we ran into each other at um, Tenerife and the rest is history. So, so let's, yeah. let's uh, obviously I've just done a bit of an intro, but just, just give um, the listeners of Scale Up Your Business a little bit more colour. You know, your journey. Yeah, you know, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I started I started my deal making career way back in 1992. I left university and my my degree was in structural engineering. I was a structural engineer. So I was designing buildings and I was working on one of the one of the stands at Manchester United um and I'd um I lasted about three weeks in in that kind of first job because my roommate at college at university he'd gone to London to work for an investment bank. And I, you know, I was top of my class at university and I was earning £11,200 a year back in 1992. 
And my buddy, who got like a third class degree in, I don't know, Russian or basket weaving or something, was um, <laughs> he, he landed a £40,000 a year job at Bank of America as a graduate trainee. And I, I just thought, I'm going to have some of that. So uh, I went down for the weekend and I met his boss in the Perwin Covent Garden. And uh, I said to him, look, I'm really good with numbers and I'm really good with people. So he hired me on the spot. So I left my structural engineering career. Um, my parents were devastated because I'd done all this stuff at university. And I went to work for Bank of America. And um, it's really interesting when you're a graduate trainee in an investment bank. It, it's a bit like, I don't know if you've seen the movie G.I. Jane, where, you know, their goal the is to more. just... Get, yeah, with Demi yeah, Moore. Yeah, okay, got it. The goal is to get rid of as many people as they humanly can. And, and they, they, they don't stop the first day until at least one person quits. So they'll have you work three days nonstop until one person quits. Uh, and they put you through this rotation. So I went through all these rotations, went into all these different departments and kind of found my home in, in the mergers and acquisitions team. And I had no idea what that was at the time. And uh, the leader of the team said, it's like buying and selling houses but you're buying and selling businesses. Um, and I thought, well, that's really interesting. So I fell into that. And then I, I started doing deals for like Boeing and, and GE and IBM, uh, laterly Microsoft. And that kind of spurned my career as a, as a junior investment banker. And I, and I did that for, uh, for a number of years, did some, you know, lots of billion dollar deals in, in technology and in engineering. And then um, I ended up going to business school um, in Chicago, had a little stint in private equity in Boston. And then I ended up going to HP, the technology company. And uh, I was one of the directors in the mergers and acquisitions team. So that $48 billion deal number, uh, you know, one of those deals was almost $14 billion, which was uh, HP's acquisition of EDS. So I did all these kind of deals and it was so interesting working inside of a large corporate buying businesses because you really understand kind of how they think and, um, you know, what the cultural ramifications are, systems integrations, the strategic rationale of only one business buying another and then cross-selling products and services and taking out all the costs of, of combined operations. So I did all that and um, I, my, my life kind of changed within a 24-hour period. I, I was in Moscow on a deal. So I was buying a printing company um, in Moscow, and I'm in this boardroom in Moscow, and my wife was 36 weeks pregnant at the time with our son, Josh, who's now 12. And uh, so this is, this is 12 years ago in February, and um, I'm in this meeting closing this deal, and, and my phone rings. And I had two phones at the time. I had my HP phone, and then I had the kind of emergency back phone, which when that rings, you know, it was Julia saying, look, you know, I've gone into labor. You've got to get back. So I literally got myself back to the UK, got to the hospital, you know, within five minutes of my son being born. And uh, I'm with a little guy, I'm cradling him in my arms. And I just thought, no, nah, I can't do this anymore. You know, I can't keep flying all over the world and neglecting my family. I'd just not been around at all during the pregnancy. You know, you've met Josh and you've yeah. met Julia since. And um, I, so I quit. I walked away from a million dollars worth of stock options. I, I quit. But you know what? I left. Eight I can understand that though, because I mean, my people people on this show know my story, and it's not that dissimilar. I was in the private equity world, and and I had a, a moment, whatever you want to call it, where the world changed. The world changed, and um, and sometimes you know we talk about Tony Robbins quite a bit. Sometimes you need to have that point of pleasure and pain to make a decision. 
And yeah, and I, I just I'd not been there for the pregnancy, and um, you know, my, my wife and I were kind of getting on. Um, so it, it wasn't an easy kind of pregnancy, and um, I, I just thought, you know, I, I'd been a terrible husband, and you know, I wasn't going to be a great father if I was flying all over the world. You know, I was living in. Um, I was living in California most of the time, where kind of HP corporate was in Palo Alto, going off doing deals. And, you know, I was earning a lot of money, but it just wasn't right. So I quit and, and I thought, I'm going to retire. I'm 37. You know, I've got some money in the bank. I'm going to retire. And after about three weeks, I was so ill with depression because I'd gone from a, a fast charging 100 miles an hour deal maker to um, changing nappies and, and walking a baby, which was lovely, but I needed something to kind of feed my, my soul and feed my brain. So I sat down with my wife, who um, is retired now. She was an accountant, and um, she said to me, what are you going to do? She said, because you're only good at one thing, <laughs> and that's buying and selling businesses. You don't know anything else. I love it, well, I love it when you get um, honesty from your wife. <laughs> yeah, she leveled with me. She said, look, you know, you're a one-trick pony. So what are you going to do? And I thought, well, number one, I ain't going to work for anybody else anymore. I want some freedom and control in my own life, pick my own hours, do my own thing. I thought, I want to be an entrepreneur. Um, and, and I thought, well, I'm going to be a business broker. So I decided to become a business broker. So I set myself up, um, you know, spare room at home, laptop, phone, started pinging my network on LinkedIn. And, you know, within a couple of days, I had a deal. It was a transport company in Liverpool. You know, pretty big company, uh, about five million pounds in, in revenues, quite a large business. And um, I went to meet the two brothers. They're both in their 60s, Colin and Alan, both looking to retire. And um, they said, you know, we want to sell the business. You can physically get, uh, crack on. So, uh, and you know how brokers work. You get, a, you get a, a small fee up front. I think I got 10 grand. And then you get a, a, a percentage success fee. And mine was like 5%. And these guys wanted four million pounds for this business. Uh, was doing just under a million pounds of profit. So they wanted just over a four times multiple, which back in 2008 was, was about right. So, um, so I went out and uh, found a load of people, you know, wrote an IM, did some marketing, got loads of interested parties, got some offers. You know, we picked the guys we, we wanted to do the deal with. And, you know, two, three months later, after due diligence and legals and all these different things, it's the night before the closing. So it's a Thursday night. And what's really weird in the UK is most deals close on a Friday. It's like house closings. They all happen on a Friday. It's the same with deals. Everyone aims for the end of the week. So it's Thursday night. It's, it's about seven o'clock. I'm, I'm in my home office and it's raining. The, you know, the rain's lashing on the windows. And I'm getting all the papers ready because obviously tomorrow we were going to Manchester and we were signing the legals. So, you know, and I had a 200,000 pound fee resting on this deal. So I'm getting all my ducks in a row. Anyway, the phone rings and it's Colin and he's in tears. And this is a, this is a six foot four, 25 stone Liverpudlian trucker, you know, never cries. And he's crying. He said, look, you need to come down. We're, we've pulled the deal. And I'm like, no, you can't pull the deal. And I'm like, I've got 200 grand riding on this, which, yeah, you know, I didn't need the money, but I just put all this work in and I, I wanted a fee and it's my first, my first big closed deal. So I went down and, and I, I, you know, I went in and like, the whole company was in the meeting, like all the drivers were in, the staff, everybody. And I said, you know, what's going on? They said, we've pulled the deal because today the buyers come in. The buyer was a 50 million pound version of what they were. So they come in and they've said, you know, we're going to shut it down. We're going to basically asset strip this thing. We're going to take 
the trucks, the customers, and the warehouse. We don't want anything else. All the employees, gone. The brand, gone. The legacy that you've built, gone. The culture that you've created, gone. And the guy said, look, we can't do this. You know, we can't take two million pounds each, retire, go and sit on a beach. One of the brothers, so Alan was going to go to Thailand and Colin was going to go to Spain. And they said, we can't go and sit on the beach and retire knowing that all of our loyal employees, and this business was like 30 years old, knowing that they're in harm's way. So I don't know what possessed me, right? And this, I am who I am now because of this moment. I looked them in the eye and I said, I'll buy the business. And they went, they started laughing. They said, what do you mean you're going to buy the business? I said, I'll buy the business. They said, well, number one, you don't know anything about this industry. And number two, where are you going to get the money from? So I said, well, number one, I don't know anything about this industry, but I've spent three, four months working on this deal. I know everything about your business model. I know how it works. I know how to grow it. Um, so no issues from that score. And in terms of the financing, I said, I can't get you anywhere near £4 million that I can probably get to just about half of it. I'll pay you some of it at closing because I'll finance the trucks, the warehouse, <clears throat> and some of the working capital. You know, there's a lot of surplus cash in the business. So you take all that, and then I'll profit share with you for three years. And I pointed at the transport manager, the financial controller, and the sales manager, and I said, I'm going to give each of those three 10% of the company, and we'll run it as a team. And Colin looked at me, and he said, if you can do that in 30 days, it's a deal. And I did it. And everyone was clapping because it protected the legacy of the business. So I closed that deal, and I, I sold it about two and a half years later to the other three people because after, after about six months, I never went there. It was growing like crazy. We did a small bolt-on acquisition of a freight forwarding company. And uh, once we paid off all the financing, they did a, a management buyout. They re-leveraged the business and you know, I walked away with seven figures. So that, that was kind of my first deal. And it got me to thinking, Nick, I, I, walked, I, I walked away and I thought, these guys have not sold for financial reasons. They wanted a safe, trusted pair of hands that could take the business protect it, safeguard it, keep the name, keep the brand, keep the culture, keep the people, treat the customers in the right way, but grow the business. And they wanted to cheer me on from the sidelines, somebody that they would be proud to have given the business to. So I thought, well, that's, there's something in there. Is that the first and time? That, I mean, because I haven't heard this story before. This is amazing. So I'm sort of, you know, I've heard, heard various things that you've done at a different level, right? But this is the first one, the kind of things. It, was this the first time in all of your deal-making that you'd seen this? This kind of the legacy thing had really clicked. It was, it was, mate. And I'll tell you why. Because up until that point, I'd spent my first 16 years doing corporate MA. Yeah. Where in, in, in large, in, in a billion dollar deal, it's 90% financial engineering and 10% psychology. In a small deal, it's the other way around. It's 90% psychology and it's 10% numbers. And, and I actually went and did a survey. I, I spent a lot of money doing a survey, and I, I polled over 2,000 people that had sold businesses in like a two- to three-year period, both here in the UK and in the US. And when I got the results back, I was staggered that 79% of the people had sold a business for non-financial reasons. 
Some of them wanted money, but they were prepared to take that money over time. And as you and I know, that's called seller financing or lease to buy. You're paying for the business out of the profits it generates once you own it. Um, and only a small percentage, 21%, were selling for maximum money so they could kind of move on. And that's generally a younger entrepreneur that started a business, built it, got it to a critical mass, and then wants to sell it to somebody else that can take it to the next level. So I then started doing loads of deals. Um, so I was buying transport companies, I was buying engineering companies, uh, bought a very, very large corporate workwear company in the Northeast, which was owned by a, a £6 billion UK conglomerate. So I bought their corporate uniforms business. That was uh, doing over £10 million a year in revenues, very, very profitable. Bought that business uh, with a 50-50 with a partner, Simon. We didn't put a single penny of our own money into that deal. So what I did over the time is I, I, I kind of crafted the strategy, both psychologically and numerically, on how to find a business, how to buy it, and how to structure the deal without using your own money. And, and you'll, you'll know this from our Tony Robbins stuff. It's 90% psychology. And, and the way it comes out, Nick, is the model that I use. Uh, you know, Tony uses the, the triad in terms of human psychology. I, I use what I call my deal-making triad. So there are three things you need to do to find the perfect business. One is, you know, number one, you've got to find a business that's going to serve you. So if it's your first business, ideally you're buying a business in a sector that you know something about, you're passionate about, and you can add a lot of value to the business and you've got a network that you can leverage. So if you've been working for IBM for 10 years, you know, go and buy an IT company, don't buy a hotel or a bar or a gym, simple. The second point of the triad is you ideally want to find what I call a distressed seller of a good business, not the other way around. You'll find a lot of uh, distressed businesses owned by good sellers. You don't want to do we that. Had, um, so you know this, we, had, we had Jeremy Harbour on um, a while back now, and his model was different to yours. Um, it is, yeah. He's kind of more looking at distressed business in more often than not in turnarounds, whereas the thing I liked about stuff that I've done with you, and, and, and obviously having you on the show, it's going to be, I think, eye-opening for a lot of, of listeners here is the idea that, you know, you're talking about a motivated seller, a distressed seller. The business is good, yeah. right? The business is profitable. Yeah, the business is profitable, but for one reason or another, the seller desperately wants to leave. It could be retirement. You know, in the US, there's 10,000 baby boomers retiring every day, and 19% of them own a small business. So there's 1,900 businesses being put up for sale every single day in the United oh, States. In incredible. the UK, the numbers aren't as large, but um, there's a lot of people retiring. But then owners get sick. They, they die in some cases, not just them, that their family members, you know, significant other. They get bored and frustrated and burnt out and run out of ideas. And, you know, they take the business to a certain level and they think, you know, I just don't want to keep grinding for five more years. Uh, I'd rather just kind of sell the business. And the, the problem with the small business industry is it's very inefficient and it's very uh, unregulated. So it's actually very, very hard uh, to sell a business, a small business, for a premium price unless you've got something very unique like in the technology space or fintech or, or something like that. You know, most businesses, um, most businesses less than £5 million in annual turnover will sell 
for less than two and a half times profit. And only one in 13 businesses will sell within the first 12 months of that business being available for sale. So what we're doing is we're giving these sellers a, what I call a dignified exit. And rather than being sold to a trade buyer who's going to rip the company to shreds, not all of them do that. And for, for trade buyers that want to grow by acquisitions, I've got some hacks on, on how to do that properly. Um, but, but typically, we're targeting business owners that want to sell. They're desperate to move on, but the underlying business is still strong and is solid. And it's really interesting. When uh, I only ever really ask three questions when I'm looking at a business. You know, first thing I'll ask a seller is, you know, why do you want to sell the business? If I can't sense some desperation in there, I, I move on. You know, I play the numbers game. So that's my first filter. If they say, yeah, well, you know, I just want to cash out. Great. Good luck. On to the next deal. If they've got one of those kind of conditions that I talked about, then I'll pursue the deal further. My second question I always ask them is, What's your marketing strategy? How do you grow the business? And nine times out of 10, Nick, they'll say, this is what's great, Carl, about our business. We don't do any marketing. It's all- We wear it like a badge of honor. Some of these businesses, don't they? Yeah. Marketing is the devil. And therefore, if I can get away with not doing any marketing, then I'm a hero. And you go- Yeah. It's like, hey, they're all repeat customers and they're all word of mouth referrals. And I love that for two reasons. Number one, when you go in and you do some marketing, you're going to scale the business over and above this phenomenal base that you have. And that phenomenal base, if people are repeat buying and they're referring the business to their friends and other people that they know, it tells you that it's a really good business. You've got that raving kind of fan culture. Uh, and I love those businesses. And I would have to say 80% of the businesses or 90% of the businesses that I meet and I talk to, uh, that's, that's what they are. So I'm looking for businesses that do little to no marketing and it's a good business that's owned by a distressed seller that's highly motivated. Those are my two primary filters that I go into. Yeah, to share with you, I mean, on, on my experience of this as well, because I think it's, it's good for people to understand how this lands, right? It, it, can become, it can become quite an emotional thing. And, this is, and I always say to people when they ask my opinion, take the emotion out of it. And the emotion out in terms of, you know, when you, you, you find a house that you love, or there's a car that you love and all of a sudden yeah. your emotions take over and you kind of, you forget the rationality because, because I've gone through a process myself and the businesses that we've bought and the ones that we're talking to now, you can start to love the business and, and yeah. your questions then sort of, even though they're really sensible, they kind of move away. You kind of go, well, I know you're kind of not really that distressed, but perhaps you could get distressed. <laughs> Deal heat. Yes. We all, we all get deal heat from time to time. And the, the, the secret to overcoming that is just to have a pipeline with multiple opportunities in it. Because if you've only got one deal and you're desperate to close a deal, you'll do anything in your power to get that deal done, um, which means that you might end up overpaying or you might agree to things that ordinarily wouldn't. If you've got five deals in your pipeline and you're negotiating on them all, your entire negotiation mindset and psychology will change because you know you've got other options and you can play things off against each other and it happens subconsciously it's a really really powerful thing so always have multiple deals on the go and and, and deal making nicks a lot like sales it's like you know you build a deal origination funnel like you'd build a sales funnel in a business you know you can't close every single potential customer like you can't close 
every single potential deal. Going back to the triad, you know, if you look at 100 deals, the three boxes you've got to tick, it's a deal that suits you, it's got a highly motivated seller, and it's got assets and cash flows that you can use to effectively buy it without using your own money, using other people's money. So you might look at 100 deals, you know, only 15 of those 100 might tick all of those three boxes. Uh, and then those are the deals that you kind of really drill into and you might end up buying three or four of them. You know, that's, that's how it works. It's all about playing the, the numbers game. So when I left HP and I started doing this for myself, um, you know, had some phenomenal successes, had a couple of uh, spectacular failures. I'll, I'll tell you one big cautionary tale. So my, my biggest deal I ever did, um, it, it was doing way over 10 million pounds in revenues, couple of million in profit. We bought it, no money downs, great, great business. And uh, Simon and I, we owned it for, gosh, just over two years. Um, you know, we, we, we made seven figures out of that just in cash flow because it was throwing off cash like crazy. And um, we were about two years in and we got a phone call from basically the largest company in the UK that did corporate workwear. So they, they, they called us up and um, I, I took the call. And the guy said, look, you know, we want to buy the business and we're going to offer you 10 million pounds for this company. And we turned it down. <laughs> we said, no, why, we want 20. Why? What? Uh, why? <laughs> well, because we, you know, we, um, I can't tell you the name of the corporate, but um, when, we when we bought this business, we unshackled it from the corporate. We were able to go after markets that, we weren't previously. We were kind of, the business was kind of locked in. It was like a, like a captive uh, workwear company. So when it came out, yes, we were serving all of the previous owners, various lines of businesses, you know, financial services, retail, pharmacy, a whole bunch of other businesses. But we were able to go out and win customers in all those other sectors as well. So we were growing like crazy. And our pipeline was huge. We'd hired all these salespeople. The business was really, really growing. And, um, so we turned the offer down and uh, then literally about 10 days later, we got a call from the corporate and, and it, it was essentially a hundred percent seller financing deal. Uh, so, you know, we owed the business a lot of money because, you know, we were paying for it over time every quarter. So the CFO of the corporate rang me. He said, uh, I got some good news and some bad news for you, Carl. He said, the good news is um, you don't have to pay me any more money. We've written it off. You keep the business. You know, we don't want any more money. And I'm like, yes, you know, we owe the guys like, I don't know, four million quid at this point. Um, fantastic. You know, just made four million pounds. So the bad news is we we're ripping up our supply contract with you. Uh, and, and their business was 40% of our revenues, but 95% of our profit. Well, wow. So our business overnight was worth a pound. And we had to get out. Uh, cause we had a lot of bank financing in the deal as well. And, um, yeah, so they, they, they called in their debenture and, you know, we'd not signed any PGs. So we got away. managed to exit that business, but didn't really make any money from it. Yeah. You know, we still make seven figures. Yeah. Uh, but cautionary retailers always be a seller. Um, you know, we, uh, we got greedy. <laughs> I, uh, I often say that people, people, cause I work, as I said, with businesses that are seven to eight figures predominantly. And, and they're always looking at the exit at that point because they've already proven product market fit. And they always ask me when, yeah. when, when should we sell? And I always say you should sell now. 
<laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll just share a quick story with you as well and with, with the listeners. I was working with a, a business recently in one of my private equity firms and the guy who founded that business, I won't say the sector and I won't say the business because it's a, a relatively distressing story, but he built this business for 12 years and his exit, the, the amount that he was going to make at exit was about 65 million pounds. Wow. Now it's in a regulated industry. And you could argue that they should have known that there were going to be some changes, but there was a cap on tariffs in this industry. And the EBITDA of this business went from 8 million to 800K in the space of a few months. Yeah. And then they were slapped with a fine by the regulator to the tune of 14 million. And they ended up having to distress sell the business to a, another provider of this service. So the guy, I know, I know the guy was sitting there, they're staring at, you know, he's probably gone to the Aston Martin garage. He's probably done all that. And then he ends up with nothing, literally nothing. So it's a, it is a cautionary. It's, I know it's crazy. So I, I did all these deals, all these leverage buyouts, which is what we're calling them. You know, LBOs, it's a wall street term. Obviously I did all that back in the day. Uh, which is taking the the LBO model and applying it to small businesses. It works in exactly the same way. You're buying a business using other people's capital, the seller's capital, equity, debt financing, all those all those different things. So I was doing all these deals, and then uh, I guess it was around the time that kind of Jeremy Harbour started doing his kind of distressed deal stuff. And I've been to the Harbour Club, and, I, and I'm really good friends with Jeremy now, and you know we're partnering on a whole bunch of different things as well, and. Um, uh, it's about the time I was doing that, you know, loads of people were saying to me, you know, you should teach this stuff. You should do what Jeremy does. You should have like a three day event, charge 10 grand, um, and teach people how to do these deals. And I just thought, I don't want to do that. What a logistical nightmare. And yeah, you know, you could hire a company to plan it all and figure it all out. And I just, I just don't want to do that. You know, I still want to be away from my family. So, uh, I thought I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to create an online business. <laughs> teaching people this stuff. You're ahead and of your time. Said, you're ahead of your time, Carl. <laughs> people said, you're crazy. Nobody is going to watch a webinar on the internet where you teach them a part of your process and then you make them an offer for, you know, 2K, 5K, whatever it's going to be to buy your, your system. Um, everyone said, can't be done. And I don't know. I just thought, well, that's a challenge. You know, I really know, know my stuff. So I spent a year taking all of my knowledge, all of those 300 plus deals, all of the great successes, the failures, the Wall Street stuff, you know, a lot of the kind of technical understanding that you need to have, you know, tax and due diligence and legals and financial modeling and all that stuff. Plus a lot of the psychology around how to find sellers, how to influence them, how to negotiate, you know, how to build a deal funnel, you know, put it all into a 10-step system. And then, um, and then two things went wrong. So the first thing was I, I picked I think 10 or 15 people that I knew that had been badgering me for this. So I, I, I gave them the system and virtually all of them did deals. So I thought, well, it works, but they said, it's too like turgid. It's too like boring. You've got to make it more implementable. It's got to be, it can't just be like, you're some professor at business school. You've got to turn it into like an implementation system. It's got to be a color by numbers kind of scenario. And you've got to cater for all levels of intelligence. So I went back to drawing board and I redesigned it all and yeah, much better. And then what I did is when I started marketing this program online, nobody would buy it. 
And I'm thinking to myself, you know, why? What's going on here? I had loads of people signing up for the webinar, loads of people going through it, but nobody was buying it. And it was like $2,000 or something at the time. And I thought, you know, what, what's going on? So uh, I started joining all these internet marketing communities and, and buying internet marketing stuff. And then I realized what I was doing wrong. And what I was doing wrong was I'd made the assumption that people wanted to buy a company. They don't. Nobody wants to buy a company. Nobody wants to own a company. What they want are the benefits that owning a business will give you. Cash flow, freedom, wealth creation, a legacy, you know, pride, ego, work-life balance, all those different things. So once I started talking about all that stuff in my webinar, ping, you know, it was amazing. And I remember one night, um, uh, this is, I've recently moved houses in my last house and, and my office was on the third floor of my old house. And uh, I'd left my computer on and I'd just done a webinar and I'd given them, like, I don't know, seven hours or something to take the offer. And I'm led in bed talking to my wife. And like every five minutes, ping, ping, you could hear my phone or my computer pinging from Stripe that people were buying this program. And my wife's like, can you go turn it off? I'm like, no, that must no. Be an amazing but feeling though, because you put like, literally, it's, a lifetime it's like, printing, it's like, printing money you build it once it's like having a piece of software you build it once and then you know you don't you're not trading time for money so and then it took off like crazy and now now there's over five thousand people that are in our business mix of different products and services and um my, my business was called ninja acquisitions and my program was called the business buying accelerator and I'd gone and I, I'd innovated inside of it. I'd set up a group mentoring program, a partnering program, you know, kind of a, an entry level course as well. I built this phenomenal seven figure business and I was so passionate about it. And what was great, Nick, is not only was it generating a lot of revenues, it was generating a lot of deal flow because people would go into the program, find a deal, um, just get a little bit stuck because they'd never done anything like this before. And they'd ping me and say, Hey, if you help me close the deal, Carl, I'll give you 50% of the company. So I was having a lot of fun and I was buying businesses through it as well. It was like so cool. And then I met Agora, met Agora Financial. So I met Adam Markley, who's now my business partner, not just in Agora, but also in Prox Capital Group, which is our private equity fund that we now have in Baltimore. And, um, you know, Adam turned around to me and said, look, you know, Agora wants to buy your business. And I'm like, really? He's like, yep. So, you know, we agreed a deal and uh, I sold Ninja Acquisitions to Agora in September of last year and uh, he and I are partners and we're having, you know, a lot of fun. And, and what you've got is, you know, I think I've got the best business buying system on the planet. Um, I've now partnered with the best direct response marketing company on the planet. So it's like a one plus one equals a hundred and I've got their entire team of marketers, copywriters, technology people that are just, you know, absolutely going crazy. So we're having a lot of fun. Uh, just a shame I can't be in Baltimore right now because I, I do spend a lot of time on the East Coast. But um, since COVID-19 came around, um, you know, because I'm not a U.S. resident yet, I can't, um, I can't be there. But I've reframed it, Nick. I'm hanging out in, in my big summer house with my family. Uh, I'm out in the middle of the countryside 
Um, you know, we've got a two-acre garden. It's an amazing story, and I haven't heard all that before. But you know, there's a couple of a couple of points to kind of bring up. So first and foremost, I think a lot of people here know on the podcast that kind of I partnered with you. I think your program is amazing, and I only recommend stuff that I that I have done myself and got value from. And and if anyone's listening to this, you know, investors, um, people who think, you know, what they may even be existing business owners and they want to grow by acquisition because a lot of people I know have got that and they. For some reason, they haven't really investigated this as a strategy. Um, do get in touch. Do have a look at this because, as I said, it, it's, it's changed the stuff that I've been doing personally and I'm seeing so many of the people that I work with, my clients, adopt a similar approach that Carl's created and I'm seeing their businesses literally double overnight, you know, crazy stuff. So it's worth looking into. So, yeah, thank you I very know. much. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, cra- it's crazy, right? You know, a lot of people, they, they start a company – and they, they, they get it to seven figures. And then they think the only way to go from seven figures to eight figures is just to keep doing more of what they're doing. So, you know, more marketing, more customers, more products and services. You can actually double your business in a day if you go and acquire another business and you can buy that business without using any of your own money. And it's even better than that because there's a lot of synergies that you can generate when you combine businesses together. So let's say that you own a software company and you want to scale. And yeah, you can sell more software, but if you go and buy, say, an IT services company and you stick them together, you can sell the software that you already have to the services customers that you just inherited. And then you can sell the services that you've just acquired and you can sell them to the software customers that you already have. So that gives you a load of cross-sell of revenue and margin. And then when you bring those two businesses together, there's a ton of duplicate costs that are going to come out of those two businesses. You get economies of scale and a lot of your administrative costs. You know, Both of the, the owner of the business that you just bought will leave. So all of a sudden you're saving one, 200,000 pounds or dollars a year of, of that salary. You only need one financial controller. Um, so you save a whole bunch of money. So it's a one plus one equals three on the revenue side, and it's a one plus one equals five on, on the cash flow side. <laughs> yeah. So you can double the size of your business in a day, and in some cases, 5x your net worth just by doing one particular yeah, it's amazing. deal. It, just in terms of the economy of scale of that, it's incredible. And I, as you know, most of the stuff I've worked in with private equity, there's a, there's a threshold. It's changing because the world's changing, right? But there's a threshold yeah. that private equity starts to look for. And actually, a lot of the private equity deals that I was doing, you know, they tend to start at about a six times. Often they can go higher depending on the business. So you know, if you work this yeah. out, if you've paid three times for a business and you've bolted it with yours and you've done a few other bits and pieces, you not only get the impact of what you said, which is kind of the revenue bill from customer acquisition and everything else, you're getting the accumulation of value because of the scale. So you can buy for three and sell the combined for six plus 10 sometimes. And then there's, there's your freedom and wealth creation just there. Absolutely. And what, what you also find is, you know, all industries net consolidate at some point in time. And if you look at industries, no matter what industry it is, you've got the hundred million and billion dollar businesses and you've got loads of businesses around the kind of 10 to 50 mark. And then you've got tons around the kind of sub million up to say two, $3 million. So all these big companies, they're not going to go and buy loads of these small individual businesses because it takes them the same amount of time to buy a $2 million business as it does to buy a $20 million business. So for somebody to come and kind of 
hoover up or roll up, which is the technical term, a lot of these businesses and knit them together, then what you've got, it, it, it's like assembling a set of artwork. And if you go and buy one piece of art from a particular artist, uh, it's worth something. If you go and buy five of them and you create a set, it's worth more than five on painting. So that's what a roll-up does. So you can do that for your own business. And the other good reason for, for, for buying another business is, you know, buying another business solves three problems that you've got. It, it gives you revenue growth. It gives you cash flow growth. But just as importantly, it can give you talent that you mm, can use. Yeah, cool. A lot of the business owners that I speak to, you know, one of the challenges is finding and retaining really good people, especially people that can run the business for them. And as you know, I'm not an owner manager. You know, I own nine different businesses. Uh, I don't work in any of them. You know, I have general managers that run my businesses for me. And in a lot of cases, I actually give them equity um, so that they're my partner in running the day-to-day -day of my business. So if you don't have anyone in your current business that can step up and run your business for you. If you go and buy another one, there could be somebody in there that can step up and run the entire group. And then it allows you as the business owner to work on your business, doing the strategic work, maybe some more deals, and leave that GM to work in the business, doing the tactical work and, and the daily kind of operational responsibility. You know, I don't like doing that. You know, it's not my skill set. Remember what my wife said to me 12 years ago, you know, you only have one skill. You're a deal maker. You're not a business operator. And uh, and that's why I don't run any of my businesses. It also doesn't, it doesn't fit with what you said as well about, you know, you, you were doing that before in terms of you were flying around the world doing big deals. You weren't home. And so getting operationally involved, I imagine, wouldn't fit with that, um, that sense of how you want to spend no. your time either. Cool. No. Listen, I've got a couple no. more questions, mate, because you've been generous with your time and, you know, there's so no much problem. in this. So first thing, just to go back a step, because I think a lot of people, when they contact me, the one question they ask, first question they ask, and I know it's one of the first parts, one of the first modules you talk about is, how do I find these deals? Yeah, so there's, there's lots of different ways to generate deal flow. The biggest mistake that most people make is they only talk to business brokers. And the problem with business brokers is they tend to artificially overvalue a business um, because they tend to generate a lot of their money from upfront fees. So they'll tell the seller that their business is worth a lot more than what it is to generate that, that client, generate that relationship. And not all of them do that, but uh, most of the ones that, that I know do. So what we do is the holy grail in deal making is what I call the off-market deal. So this is a deal that's not actually yet listed for sale. And the way to find those people is to network. Network in, in a human capacity and also network in a digital capacity. Because what's really interesting is, let's say, Nick, that you were you know, a little bit older than you are now, or you, know, you could be the age you are now, and you decide the time is right for you to sell your company, or whatever company that you're looking to sell. You're going to go and tell five people before you go anywhere near a business broker. And bearing in mind, 80% of sellers won't go to a business broker. They don't trust them, and they don't want to pay the upfront fees. So you'll go and tell five people. You'll go and tell your wife or your spouse. We can't obviously network with those people. But then you'll go and tell four people that we call deal intermediaries. You'll tell your accountant or your CPA. You'll tell your lawyer. 
You'll tell your bank or other financier if you've got financing inside of your business. And you'll go and tell your wealth manager if you've got one. So if you're networking with those four people and groups of people, you're going to get access to unbelievable high-quality deal flow that no one else knows about yet. And the secret is all those four deal intermediaries have all got a vested interest to help you. So a wealth manager, he wants the client to sell the business because he'll get the job to invest the money, and that's how he makes money. A wealth managers, they're power networkers. They're very easy to get to and speak to. You know, And even now, where well, we can't go out, um, you know, I'm on Zoom with them all the time. Um, it's easy to build relationships um, on, on Zoom or Skype. Take a, take a CPA or a lawyer. They're either A, going to have a client already that they believe is ready to sell. So they will work for that client on the sell side and generate fees in brokering that deal. Or if they don't have a client that's looking to sell, they're motivated to go and find you a deal through their own local networks because then they can work for you and earn fees from you working on the buy side of the deal. And similarly with financiers, financiers now that the um, now that the interest rates have come down, you know, I've got banks calling me every day trying to give me money to do deals. It's crazy. And the funny thing is. I'm finding most of the deals I'm looking at actually don't need closing payments now. Sellers are prepared to say, look, take the business off me. You can pivot it to take advantage of what's happening with COVID-19 and just pay me over time. So there's all this money out there for deals. Um, so if you're connected to financiers, uh, not only will they help you close the deal by putting money into it, but they're very, very well networked in terms of the small business. Well, so they will know. Because two things happened over the last week for me. So first and foremost, there's a lot of private equity guys out there with money and they want to look for good deal, good undervalued. Yeah. And I did, a, um, I did a deal last night actually with a uh, financier up, up the north of England, not far from where you are, where they've been financing some small business stuff for ages. Now, there's two parts of that agreement. One is they need help with some turnarounds right now. But they've suddenly got a whole heap of businesses that are good businesses, but for whatever reason, the owners have started to get scared now, they're yeah. still valuable. They're just not as valuable as they were, and they're ready to sell, and that's an off-market deal. And so it's amazing. Yeah. They've literally got 500 businesses on their books. So it is, a, it is about, for me personally, and I found this again working through, through your methodology, you've got to treat it like sales and marketing. You've got to market yourself. Yeah. You've got to build rapport, build a relationship, and over time, yeah. those networks start to feed you back because you've spent time investing in them. They do. You're absolutely correct. And... You know, 20, 27, 28 years ago when I started this journey, you know, we didn't have the, the, the technology that we have today. You know, we didn't have Facebook and Skype and Google and LinkedIn. It, it's crazy. You know, back in the olden days, you know, you'd call somebody and you know nothing about them. Now I, I can find out everything about a person in five minutes by looking at their LinkedIn profile, their Facebook page, and by just Googling their name and finding what awards they've won or, or other things that they've done. So then if, if, if I know, for example, Nick, that you're a, an Arsenal fan and you like steak and red wine and you love traveling to Argentina, I'll know that from a five-minute look at your Facebook profile. So then when I call you for the first time, before I go anywhere near a deal conversation, I'm going to talk about all those things and I'm going to build a great friendship and relationship with you then when I then start to try to buy your business, it makes it so much easier because yeah. you and I have got a relationship. Yeah. And that's the key. Again, it's 90% psychology 
it's only 10% numbers. Yeah, it's it's, amazing, it's an amazing point. And just to finish with, because again, I'm conscious of, of time for you as well. I know you're busy with everything going on. Just some quick thoughts on, you know, we are recording this during COVID-19. I don't want to overplay that because probably like you, um, I'd like to look at the positive opportunities that are being created, of which there are many. But from a deal-making perspective right now, what are you seeing in terms of opportunity for people? Yeah, so there's, there's two parts to that question. And what I'm seeing right now is that there will, there will never be a better time in, in any of our lifetimes to buy a business right now. You know, there, there, there are already more than two and a half million businesses for sale just in the UK and the US. That number is going to go up exponentially over the next three to six months. You know, a lot of business owners, they don't like fear. They don't like uncertainty and they don't like doubt. So they've been through 9-11. They've been through the global financial crisis. They've been through other recessions and other challenging times. I think this could be the straw that breaks the camel's back and they'll decide to sell. But then the other question is, well, why would you buy a business that's going to struggle through through COVID-19? And, and, and I don't believe all businesses are going to struggle. There are a number of business sectors, a lot of them actually, that are booming right now. So look at anything to do with food manufacturing, distribution, and retail. Look at any business that's involved in, in manufacturing that is now able to stop making what they're making and start making components for medical devices. Everyone needs food. Everyone needs transport. Everyone needs medical devices, medical equipment, PPE, medication, on all those different things. I wish I still owned my transport company right now because of the massive increase in stuff that's being moved around the world in the supply chains. In any business that's online is, is booming right now. Any business that's not online, you can get online in an hour with a Shopify store and start getting your products and services out to customers um, who can't visit you in person, but you know can still get them. It's crazy what's happening right now. Even distilleries, Nick, they're not making whiskey anymore. They're making hand sanitizer, and they're doubling and tripling their revenues literally overnight. So my message to people is if you want to buy a business, now is the best time, in my opinion, in, in the last 50 years. Go and buy a business that an owner doesn't want to pivot in this new way of doing business. And go buy that business in a sector that you know a sector that you understand and can add value to and then pivot it to these phenomenal growth opportunities that we're seeing. And, and I don't want people to think I'm talking about profiteering. You know, I'm not like talking about selling toilet roll for $200 on eBay. I'm talking about buying a business from somebody that doesn't want it anymore, paying for that business over time. So profit sharing with that business and then essentially pivoting that business into these wonderful opportunities that we're seeing through these dynamically changing times. And what I think you're going to see, Nick, in, in the coming months and years, COVID-19 will change human behavior forever. There are things that we did three weeks ago that we won't do anymore. There's a lot of behavioral change that's happening. And like any business, you've got to pivot. You know, Blockbuster, um, before they went bankrupt, if they'd have realized that you know people were going to stop renting DVDs and we're going to move to a subscription stream service like Netflix, you know, they'd still be in business right yep. now, but they, they just didn't want to do it. And most of the business owners I talk to, they don't want to pivot. 
And it I takes, think it takes energy. It takes, you know, a, a change in what they did. A lot of people, once they've built something, they don't want to realise or, or maybe come to terms with the fact that the, the, the world's, you know, changing faster than ever right now. If COVID-19 has done anything, it's, well, for me personally, I, I've seen so many business owners, it's, it's shined a microscope onto the things that they should have been doing but haven't. Right. You know, managing, not having enough cash to manage a business is a major issue. Right. Right now, people are kind of realizing the pain of decisions they may have may, should have been making. And the other thing I think it's done, it's starting to bring people together in a connected way. So, you know, if you are good at networking rapport, you know, you're, you're, you've got a really good opportunity to start to exploit, as you said, the opportunities and start to leverage the opportunities that are presented from, from everything going on. Good. Yeah. There's, there's only three things you need to do, mate, to smash this. The first one is you've got to have a deal-making mindset. The second thing is you've got to be great at building relationships and building rapport. And number three, it's got to play the numbers. Treat it like a sales and marketing process. You do those three things, it's very, very easy to buy businesses using other people's money. Awesome. I've done it. You've done it. Thousands and, of people And, and it's it. changed everything for me as it has for you. So as I said, I'm very grateful for that and grateful for having you on scale at your awesome. business. So where can people find you? Oh. Well. So what I've done is I've created a, uh, so you don't need your credit cards. This is a free gift that I'm going to give out to all of your people that have some interest in this. I've got, uh, it's called Carl Allen's Business Buying Blueprint. So it's my 10-step system, my blueprint for buying businesses. So if they go to trainwithcarl.com forward slash scale up, it's an exclusive thing that I've done for you, Nick, that you can give out to all of your audiences. For people that want to get started and learn how deal-making works, and I take them through kind of what the 10 steps are and how to do it. Perfect. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. We'll make sure we'll put a link to that into the show notes. And as I said, I encourage everyone who's got a business or, you know, even if they're doing something different and they want to kind of get into this world, this is a great place to start. And certainly how I began my journey into it as well. So Carl Allen, thank you so much. So always great to chat, you know, here are some of the stories and it's a pleasure having you on the show today. See you soon, my friend. Cool. Thank you. Keep safe. See you later. Bye.